Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Good morning, this is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Money Talk on Tuesday the 5th of September. This is the place to come for the latest business and finance news from China and around Asia, the original Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And thank you for making this program one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. In today's business and finance headlines, China's foreign ministry confirmed Monday that Premier Li Chang will attend this week's Group of 20 summit in New Delhi in place of Xi Jinping. The foreign ministry didn't provide details as to why President Xi wasn't attending the event, a snub that's likely to aggravate strains with India. His absence would mark the first time his Mr G20 summit since taking power. President Biden said he was disappointed that President Xi planned to skip the G20, but added that he was going to get to see him. However, Mr Biden didn't say when exactly this meeting would happen. The Asian Business Summit begins in Jakarta today, bringing together more than 2,000 world leaders, CEOs and senior executives, representing multinational and regional corporations. World leaders due to address the gathering of Pacific nations include Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who will give keynote remarks on Britain's foreign policy goals in the region. China's state planner, the National Development and Reform Commission, will set up a new bureau to oversee the development of the private economy as part of the government's push to boost the private sector. The bureau will coordinate policy planning and implementation of private sector support. Its major functions include monitoring and analysing the private economy, coordinating the drafting of private sector support measures and establishing a communication mechanism with private firms. However, unlike a party commission, the new bureau won't have the authority to force other government agencies to implement its recommendations. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group, and our US Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Wood. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, and take a look at my daily newsletter. <laughs> U.S. stock markets were closed Monday for the Labor Day holiday. U.S. index futures rose marginally in thin holiday trading, with sentiment boosted by the latest Chinese property stimulus measures and hopes that interest rates are approaching a peak. Cash bond markets were also closed for trading, with Treasury futures slightly lower. The U.S. dollar index was 0.1% lower after rising for seven straight weeks, its longest such streak since 2018. The dollar strengthened 0.1% against the Chinese yuan to 7.2746 renminbi in onshore markets. The Japanese yen was 0.2% weaker at 146.44 against the dollar. Both Brent crude oil and US crude futures traded at new nine-month highs. Brent crude oil closed half a percent higher at $89 per barrel. In Asian stock markets, Japan's topics index was 1% firmer at a new 33-year high. Chinese stocks rose after more than a dozen large Chinese cities relaxed mortgage rules as parts of efforts to revive the country's paralysed property market. 
In addition, the People's Bank of China cut financial institutions' FX reserve requirement ratio by two percentage points to four percent from six percent, effective from September the 15th in the latest move by Beijing to combat a depreciation of the renminbi. Hong Kong stock market reopened after closing for the whole day Friday because of super typhoon Sayola. On Monday, the Hang Seng Index surged 462 points, or 2.5%, to 18,844, the highest level since August the 11th. The Hang Seng Tech Index jumped 3% higher, and the Shanghai Composite Index rose 1.4% to 3,177. Chinese property developers rose sharply, with the Hang Seng Mainland Property Index up 8.2%, as megacities, including Beijing, eased mortgage requirements for some home buyers, and the nationwide minimum down payment was uniformly set at 20% for first-time buyers and 30% for second-time purchasers. Shares in Country Garden surged 14.6% after creditors agreed over the weekend to extend a maturing yuan bond, helping it to avoid default. Country Garden is still scheduled to pay 22 million US dollars in coupon payments on two US dollar bonds it missed in early August, and that grace period ends tomorrow. Futures markets are pointing to a decline of about 0.7% for the Hang Seng at the open. Looks like it's going to open around 18,720. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter. You'll find that at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Let's welcome our Tuesday morning guests. We have with us Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter. And also another Mark with us, Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group. Morning to you, Mark. Good morning. And over in Washington, D.C., as always on a Tuesday morning, U.S. economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning, Peter. And I should wish you a happy Labor Day holiday as well. It's still the Labor Day there, isn't it, for you? Yes, but the sun is setting, so it's nearly over. <laughs> okay, great. Well, look, let's start uh, in China. These are new mortgage rules. China's cut down payments and mortgage rates. It's going to allow the largest cities uh, to cut down payments for home buyers, and it's encouraging lenders to lower rates on existing mortgages. That helped give uh, Chinese stocks a big boost um, yesterday. I tell you what, Mark Tove, do you want to give your thoughts on this? The market reacted very positively to it, didn't it? Do you think it's a a game changer? Yes, it did. Uh, I think uh, the whole uh, the whole uh, game changer basically uh, lies in the confidence of the public uh, because uh, the, dire- the the directive or the, the message it has been very clear that the government or the authorities are going to uh, have more measures uh, no matter what. Uh, because they recognize that uh, it is in such a difficult situation that they cannot uh, maintain the previous, uh, 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 you, you, you may say, cons- uh, very conservative uh, measures uh, in in concerning uh, the, all the liabilities uh, uh, issues. Uh, rather, they, 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 they are now uh, having more positive measures to uh, you, you may say to to pardon uh, or to 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 forget about these things uh, for for a moment, just because uh, the th- the situations seems to be uh, seems to be so difficult that that they have to intervene. Uh, 
uh, in 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 just another direction, just like a a, a pendulum swing. Do you think, as a result of this, um, people on the mainland will be more inclined to buy properties now? Um, not yet. Uh, I think uh, the public uh, has to just just like in the past forty years, uh, you, you know, the the basic tenet for for the Chinese authorities or for the people, they have to uh, they 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 take a more uh, you you know more um, uh, preserve uh, or more conserve uh, uh, attitude or approach. Uh, they they wait and see, and they step on the stone, and one step at a time. They don't have that cold turkey mindset. They don't believe everything uh, what the authorities uh, are, are saying, but they they believe in other people. As long as there are other people who come in first, and uh, as long as the asset price uh, tumbled and rebound, as long as they have some kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy they, they, that the whole the whole cycle may set in hmm. mark the other mark mark michelson i mean this has been a big yeah. issue for china's economy hasn't it the travails of the property sector and and the damage it's done overall to, to the economy and to to business sentiment you you've raised it several times and i know your members have been very concerned about it do you think this eases those concerns well, well absolutely well and i agree with mark uh, I think uh, in reaction to it, uh, many Chinese will want to feel the stones uh, when they cross the river as, as, as well. But what this does, I also think, is raises the stakes, uh, including, for, including for the government and, and for people, because they'll have now expectations that the Chinese will take, the government will take measures going forward, other measures that will help uh, the property sector, help stimulate the economy, and so on. But the Chinese government and government officials also have to worry about the implications of those measures, which is one of the reasons they've been sort of conservative because there there are uh, costs that could be uh, could be could be could be given if they take certain measures, and they aren't sure what the implications are. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons they're being careful. It's pretty difficult. It's and it's sort of a a tightrope. And as Mark pointed out, confidence is really important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it will be moving in the right direction but uh but i think that applies to not only the economy but applies to political situation as well uh the COVID had a big effect on on china as it did other economies and there's still the the uh the uh, impact of that is still affecting the economy and, and attitudes. Mm. I, I suppose at the same time, the government doesn't want to reinflate the property bubble either does it although that's, i suppose that's, that's, that's it. the least of its concerns at the moment it, it probably is, but you know, and they keep they keep comparing China with with Japan of of twenty or twenty five years ago. Maybe not completely fair, but of course they they hear that as well. Mm. And you know, it's a it 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 is a political situation, and uh, and everyone worries about public opinion. Even if, Mark, in you every, lived in Japan. Do you think there's a parallel between? Not real. I mean. In, 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 in some ways, but it was completely different economies. And frankly, the Chinese economy and the and Chinese policymakers, I think, are more flexible and more willing to uh, to try things and have more levers to push than their Japanese counterparts did, uh, did many years ago. Mm. Barry, when you look uh, at this from wrong. Barry, when you look at this from overseas, I mean Janet Yellen has specifically mentioned, doesn't he, concerns over the Chinese economy. President Biden described it, I think, as a basket case. So does this help um, in in terms of sort of American concerns because they don't want to see um, a, a weak Chinese economy? 
Well, I frankly, I, I don't know what the Americans want, and I don't know what the Chinese want. I, I do think that there must be some parallels either to Japan or the United States in 2007, eight. Uh, I remember people coming back from China, American tourists, saying they've been out in the West and they saw whole cities, <laughs> all these skyscrapers, nobody in them. Mm. And they worried. I mean, that's been a long time now. But there's a problem here. And I think the Chinese have moved slower than any of the American authorities thought. And I will just say as an addendum, because I, I think Mark Toe has got it right. This is a psychological problem among the Chinese people. Uh, their, their confidence is not going to be rebuilt until they see other people beginning to get back into the market. But there's clearly, I think, a notable cooling in the United States-Chinese relations, which were already cool. And I say that because when uh, Miss Raimondo was on a Sunday morning talk show, uh, she was much harsher in her assessment of China saying the business community regards it as uninvestable, losing patience, all these things that she did not say in Shanghai or Beijing. And then when you add in that um, President Xi is not going to New Delhi, I mean, it seems to me that there's a lot of uncertainty that wasn't there a week ago. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, my, my you would know better than, than I, Barry, but uh, my feeling is that uh, she probably got a, a, few, uh, a few talks when she came back to Washington because... You know, although she mentioned some of those issues when she was in China, you're right. Her appearance on Face the Nation and and uh, maybe other shows were definitely much more uh, negative or, or or less certainly less promising than before. It looked looked pretty good for for a while, and I think there are there are real concerns. I think going forward for companies, of course, the hope was that China was going to help take up the. Uh, take up the slack from slowing U.S. and uh, and European economies this year. Well, of course, the U.S. hasn't slowed that much. Europe is still an issue, but China hasn't done it. And one of our main topics has been managing uneven growth this year in 2023. And we thought that was going to be throughout Asia, but now a lot of it applies to China itself. So for companies, it's also an, it's also an issue, obviously. Mm -hmm. Well, as well as Gina Raimondo not holding back, um, China's state security ministry has lashed out um, as well. Um, it's accused the US of uh, mixing engagement and containment, it says. And it's yeah. also suggesting that a possible meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden in November is at risk unless the US shows more sincerity. And that warning comes after Ms. Raimondo wrapped up her uh, four-day visit. The Ministry of State Security said in a statement on its official WeChat social media account, China will never relax its vigilance because of a few beautiful words from the United States. And the statement went on to say that the new approach from the US was old wine in new bottles and accused the US of continuing to stir up trouble in the South China Sea and Tibet. It cited Washington's approval of armed sales and military financing to Taiwan as an example. And it criticised the US for what it says was openly bad-mouthing um, the Chinese economy. That's after President Biden called it a ticking um, time bomb. Um, not a very good reaction, was it, Parry, really, either to uh, to Miss Raimondo's visit. I mean, she left hailing this as a big breakthrough, that there was a new um, engagement, if you like, in China-US relations through these working groups, these diplomatic talking groups. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I agree. And I, I think that uh, that's why we're in a kind of uncertain period in which 
all of the risk seems to be on the downside. Uh, yes, Miss Raimondo, I think Mark Michelson's got it right. There was no doubt a phone call from the White House and said, listen, take a hard line. And uh, she did. And you know, when you add up these things, I mean, the Chinese are cross about the American policy on Taiwan. Go back to the spy balloon. You can say about Tibet, all the focus on human rights that the Americans keep talking about. Then add to that the fact that you have three American high-level people in China, but nobody comes to the states. So, and now, President Xi not going to New Delhi. This is very interesting. If you look at, say, two weeks ago, Xi and Modi were talking in Johannesburg. Well, did they not talk about this? I mean, is this a surprise? Is this, is this a health issue? We know nothing. Uh, is this a slap at Modi or is it a slap at the Americans or both? So there's a lot of uncertainty that wasn't there. Mm. That, that's I think that's really pretty important. I mean, symbolically, it's important that Xi Jinping's not going to uh, New Delhi. You may remember last year, President Jokowi of, of Indonesia, who was the host then, managed to broker a compromise. And they even came up with a joint statement, which looks pretty unlikely this year, even on issues like climate change and and other, other, other serious problems as well. And it's right, it might have implications for, for APEC, which is already shaky, partly because of the relationship with Hong Kong and, and other issues. So this, this, this containment versus engagement is a feeling I think that's, that's pretty strong. And I think the Secretary, Secretary Raimondo's visit, it looked like it was, it maybe uh, was, was going to ease that situation. It probably, uh, probably didn't. It probably, probably give gave at least China the impression that that's what's what's happening. Mm -hmm. You can you can argue on the other side as well. But certainly that that's an issue. Mark Toe, how, how do you see this from an investment um, perspective? Because on the one hand, we have this good news with China, the central authorities stepping in to try and help uh, the property sector, um, also trying to support the renminbi, which is obviously positive. But then on the other side, you have these deteriorating US-China relations. We've had the comments today from China's spy agency and from Gina Raimondo as well in, in the US. How, how do you put this all together from an investment perspective? perspective and, and look at China? Well, there, there may be waves or um, uh, repercussions from time to time, but the overall uh, situation uh, differs significantly from the past uh, four decades, uh, because in the, um, in the best interest of the Chinese uh, people, uh, I think uh, it is to go to do business with the uh, every trading partner, the United States, the uh, European countries, everyone. And um, don't argue with success. Uh, actually, in the past 40 years, uh, the Chinese success story uh, basically stems from that. But uh, I think it, it is uh, it's quite a tragedy that it seems to be uh, in a deadlock. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, once the trust, uh, mutual trust uh, between the uh, two biggest nations have ha ha lost. Uh, the whole thing has from the so-called positive sum game to a uh, very classic, um, uh, you, you may say, non-cooperative, uh, the prisoner's dilemma. And um, because of the lack of uh, lack of trust or the, the, the asymmetry in, in information, you may say that uh, somehow the Chinese may have to take uh, precautionary measures, um, uh, especially given the uh, the uh, the last president uh, 
the, the actions in uh, restraining the free trade uh, 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 between China and the other countries. I, I think it, it is it is uh, going to uh, to be a, a pendulum swing, and it's just on on the way. And even though there may be some little improvements uh, from time to time, it is very hard. For for the, the the Chinese people and even uh, the investors, the, the global investors, to change their view, uh, they they won't believe that everything will be back to normal because the normal has changed. Uh, we have the new normal. The new normal is that we have a uh, uh, more than competitive. It is non-cooperative uh, uh, situation, and I think. Um, uh, that, that kind of mindset ha- it will not be easy to change. You, you said China may well, have to well, take some preventative measures. What sort of preventative measures are you thinking about? Yeah, um, actually, in in the past decade or so, you you, you can see that uh, somehow from the investors' point of view, uh, some somehow it is hard to understand. For example, why should the Chinese authorities uh, shut down the whole educational sector, the private educational educational sector, uh, in 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 one night, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, uh, it, it's just uh, because of these uh, uh, regulatory uh, constraints that the the, the 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 message, or you may say, the whole atmosphere has changed a lot. The uncertainties isn't going to to be lifted anytime soon. I think. Yeah, and it's not it's not just education. I mean, we know about tech. It's also pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. This isn't this isn't against the international necessarily. It's. It's just against the sectors for very some of it's involving corruption and so on. But saying that, I'm going with a business delegation to the GBA, Greater Bay Area, on Thursday and Friday. I think we're going to have a pretty positive, positive experience, and they're still very interested. So, executives based in this part of the world, including in Hong Kong, still have some uh, some some positive views of China and prospects going forward, despite these. Despite these uh, challenges, they know that. Mark, I think you're going to get an earful. This this is going to be very interesting indeed. Uh, what you learn uh, from that session. Listen, yeah. if I could just um, focus a little bit more on this G20 business, you know, the the recent history is is significant. Don't forget, Xi Jinping was the host of the G20 in 2016. So. Not only was he with the Indian prime minister two weeks ago, but the G20 is a group that China greatly values. When it was set up by the French, there was a urgent mission to Washington by then President Sarkozy and the European Union Commission president in 2008, when it looked like the world financial system was collapsing, saying President Bush the younger, do something. You need to have a meeting. Thus, the G20 happened almost with two weeks' notice. They couldn't even get name tags ready. Uh, That was held in Washington in, in 2008. Then there were two sessions in 2009. The interesting thing about that, Peter, is that China was a very active player in a coordinated stimulus program that the G20 nations agreed to to prevent a global recession. It's it's a triumph, really. Larry Summers, the former American Treasury Secretary, says this was the most important international meeting in years. Now you've got Delhi. I mean, you know, let's face it, we know that India and China vie for leadership in the developing world. 
but it's a stiff arm to the Indians who've been planning this. You know, they want to show off their moonshot. They want to do everything. And the Chinese aren't going to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 I, I, I teach this as well. And I agree completely with Barry. I actually think the highlight of G20 was in 2010, the meeting in Seoul, which was, which was after, after the, well, sort of after the global financial crisis, but where they really were working together. And China, as Barry said, was a major player. Mm. This has been an important, although, you know, doesn't have any enforcement powers, doesn't have a secretariat, but very important for uh, for moving forward on a lot of issues. And when they're not meeting together effectively, uh, especially when a major leader or two doesn't show up, and of course the U.S. has done this in the past for mostly internal reasons, um, that's, a, that's an issue. And Barry, I think, has a right. And this is a particular snub for India, isn't it, and for Narendra Modi? And um, it's been taken that way as well. If you read the Indian media, they are talking about it in that light. It's a snub. And even some commentators saying President Xi is doing this deliberately to sabotage uh, the, the G20 meetings because it doesn't want India to look too good. So it's not great, is it, really, for India-China relations? Or, or for BRICS, I'd, I'd mention as well, since India and China are the two dominant members of BRICS, and they, you know, just had a major meeting where a lot of, a lot of positive things were said. But those, those are the two leaders, and they don't particularly like each other, as you probably mm. can, can see. Mark, Mark Toad, give me your thoughts on where you think the Chinese economy is. We had all the PMI data last week, didn't we? Which which surprised a few people. It it looked better than expected. We've got more data coming today, the the China Kaishin Services PMI. We've got trade data later this week and also Chinese inflation data as well. So we're going to have by the end of this week a a better picture maybe of where the Chinese economy is at. What what are your thoughts? Do you think maybe people have been a bit too pessimistic about China because the, the data certainly seems to show that things are improving a bit. Well, of course, uh, we have to differentiate uh, between uh, the the really long-term developments uh, from the uh, uh, short-term, rather uh, uh, forcible future, because uh, there may be waves and repercussions, as I have said. And uh, for investors, I think uh, it is uh, most important to remember that the uh, the events, the causes of events have already been priced in and everything we, we take it to the market and the market forces basically re- review all the information very quickly. So uh, uh, despite the pessimism of the, the, the people, whether they are investors or just uh, the, the, the public or the authorities, I think um, uh, the overall situation actually has already be, been reflected in, in the prices. And as long as we have uh, some uh, uh, cheap prices, um, we may have uh, opportunities here and there. And I tend to agree that uh, yeah, from uh, Greater Bay Area or the other uh, initiatives, uh, I think uh, from time to time there will be more uh, uh, policy directive or the, the, the rather positive measures uh, for, for, for the investors to boost their confidence, uh, to, to help them uh, get that feedback on the ground. I, I think uh, the overall situation is improving, at least for the very short term, uh, given the uh, uh, lower valuation, uh, much, much lower valuations from the previous years. Mm, okay. Barry, can, can I talk a little bit with you about the, uh, the U.S. economy? Because we had those jobs figures uh, on Friday, 
Uh, the US economy added 187,000 jobs in August. That exceeded market expectations, but there was a cumulative 110,000 downward revision to the prior two months of payrolls. The jobless rate rose to 3.8%. That's because the labour participation rates rose, um, which means more people were rejoining uh, the workforce. Average hourly earnings rose less than expected by about 0.2%. I think, Barry, if the Fed could have written a jobs report beforehand, it would have looked pretty similar to this one's it? it. I think they must be delighted with this. I think you're right. Absolutely. Look, the interest rate is the most important price in capitalism. So the interest rate has been rising rapidly during the course of 2022 and even into 2023. And yet the economy has not gone into the chipper, which is good news. We're even creating jobs, as you just mentioned. Unemployment rate is at, what, 30-year low. So at some point, the lag in monetary policy has to have an impact. And what has the chairman of the central bank tried to do? He wants to restrain growth. He wants to have slower growth so that the inflation rate comes down. And the inflation rate is down by two-thirds. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, It looks very good, Peter. I Mm. think you're right. I think he would look at these data and say, my goodness, I couldn't have imagined it could be this good. And yet, we mustn't forget that there's a lag. And when you've got a doubling of mortgage interest rates, meaning that uh, if you were paying $1,900 a month to buy a house in a mortgage, now you're paying $2,900, that's going to slow the economy. And the housing sector so far has held up. But how much longer will that go on? And what does the Fed do now? Should it pause? Oh, I think it has to. Uh, look, I mean, at some point, he can only imagine, the, the members of the FOMC can only imagine what the members of Congress, is, let alone the public, will be saying if there's a dramatic slowdown. They say, you guys went too far. So there's no risk in waiting another month. Wait for some more data. Mm. Mark, how, how do you see this? I mean, it's, uh, it's looking pretty good, isn't it? But certainly the thing that's kept the American economy afloat and stopped it sliding into recession has been the jobs market. But it does look like now, if you look at the data, uh, the jobs market is starting to call. So does that raise risks of a recession further down the line? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it does. And, I, you know, I think, I, think I, I agree basically with what Barry said. I mean, we never, we never know. You know, our, our forecast... For China, we were a little ahead of the head of the pack in in suggesting that Chinese growth this year wouldn't be nearly as strong as been predicted by the IMF and others. We really missed the U.S. Mm-hmm. You thinking it was going to be so substantially weaker, and it keeps uh, defying expectations. That's the good news. The bad news, especially for the Biden administration, is they don't most most many voters don't seem to give any credit to the Biden administration <laughs> for for any of this. So that's. <laughs> So you know what he did, and then I see Barry saw this overnight. He blamed he blamed the Trump administration for giving up business to China. Mm. So China came in <laughs> and do it again. So there it is. Mark Toe, so let it's me right in the middle of the political campaign. 
Mark Toe, let me give the final word to you. I mean, the, t- the two big surprises this year, really, haven't there, in the global economy has been, first of all, the underperformance of China. People were so optimistic at the beginning of the year um, about how China would perform after COVID restrictions were lifted. And the other big surprise has been the outperformance of the American economy. If you go back to the beginning of the year, so many people were predicting a recession um, th- this year. But where, where are things going to go from here, do you think? Yeah, the the so-called pent-up demand, uh, the uh, for 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 China after the the COVID pandemic, uh, didn't live up to expectations. I think um, it is just normal. Uh, and actually, if we pay close attention uh, to the situation, we know that uh, it is not going to be easy uh, because the whole you, you you may say the whole situation has changed from the past uh, four decades. I think it takes a long, long time. Uh, to find the new equilibrium, but for for the United States, I think for for the global markets, I mean, uh, the situation is um, uh, rather rather uh, rather uh, interesting because uh, you can see that the Fed is trying to steer the wheel to try to uh, to have that kind of a so-called uh, soft landing to have the Goldilocks, uh, but you know, uh, this kind of equilibrium is uh, rather unstable, unstable. Uh, it is so fragile that uh, any change, uh, uh, any small change in the parameters may lead to big changes in the whole game. So I would rather add uh, uh, some grain of salt in, 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 the, in the rhetoric. Uh, and I think that it is not entirely impossible for recession to set in by the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Because mm-hmm. uh, it is really, really possible uh, that the central bank may have uh, uh, overdone something uh, in, in, in the courses of events. Okay, well thank you for your thoughts there. You heard Mark Toe, who's Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group. Mark Michelson, who's Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and Barry Wood, our US Economics Correspondent over in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On tomorrow's program, I'm joined by Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at Bank of Singapore, and Sean DeBose, CIO at Interlink Asia Pacific. And with a view from Japan is Nick Smith, Japan Strategist at CLSA. Have a good Tuesday. Money Talk.